What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Each episode, we take a look at classic and iconic films from two perspectives, that of the diehard fan and that of the uncultured who's never seen it before until right now. We're your hosts, Justin and Joe, and today we'll be discussing the retelling of the original movie that then went off-Broadway only to be remade into the 1986 masterpiece, Little Shop of Horrors. Now, as a reminder, you can watch us on YouTube or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just just search for the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. And if you could, um, I'm, a, I'm given to understand that this is a thing where you can rate podcasts or episodes. I think it's like rate, review, and subscribe is the saying. Yeah, so let's, let's do that. Uh, if you guys want to start rating and reviewing us, um, hell yeah, dive in. Only positive reviews. Yeah, otherwise we're going to cancel it, you know, and <laughs> delete it immediately. Uh, also, you can check us out on Instagram, at UCU Podcast. Uh, always be plug-in, Joe. Always be plug-in. Always be plug-in. A-B-P. That's how we do. So without further ado, Joe, let's pop on down to Mushnick's, sing a little tune or two, and witness the majesty that is Audrey 2, and discuss Little Shop of Horrors. Justin, can I say something? Yeah. I loved this movie. I fucking knew you would, man. I am so glad. Okay, well let's let's first let's let's talk about like why we are doing Little Shop of Horrors. It is right. March, and you know mm-hmm. what that means here at the UCU. What does it mean? It is musical March. We are going mm-hmm. to be talking about musicals this week. Uh, as our little mini series. So this one kicks us off, and then I've got one coming later this month. Uh, and so you have picked Little Shop of Horrors, which is kind of like a 80s slash Motown joint yeah. that I had never seen. I knew very little about. I knew it was really? really like about the plant. I'd never really gotten into any of the soundtrack or anything. And I'm a musical guy. Like, I know. I yeah. love them, you know. Um, and I have probably listened to this soundtrack between now and two days ago when I watched this movie to the extent where it it might make a showing on my Spotify end of the year wrap up. It most definitely will. I'm so happy you did that. Yay. So I love that like this covered this blind spot of yours. Mm -hmm. So Alan Menken, the composer who wrote this, this Mm -hmm. guy's a badass and I'm sure you've heard a number of his songs, but he knows his way around a melody. He's like the Disney guy. He's the Disney, the classic Disney guy, the Hercules, the Aladdin, you know, the guy can rip a music tune. Yeah. Jonathan uh, lasted about five minutes into this movie. He's not really a musical guy himself, but Mm -hmm. his one comment was it's giving very Hercules so far. And that's, that's my note as well. That is a top compliment. Like, and, He's spot on. He knows. He's got the he's got the good ears. Yeah, yeah. My note about Mencken for this film is like uh the the movie goes through a lot of the Disney musical tropes uh when it comes to songs. Uh I'm sure like we could list them all out, but like you've got the what is it, the I want song, you've got yeah. the love song, you've got the villain song. Um uh it's it it feels very much like it could be a Disney movie, except it's like twisted and extremely campy and a little violent it's a lot violent it's a lot misogynistic it is dark 
Um, it could, you know, with a little polishing, it could easily be Disneyfied, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'd love to dig into the the soundtrack portion of it a little bit later. Oh and uh, yes, yeah, so let's identify all of those 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 common pieces. But um, yeah, first, so yeah, let's let's look at the overview here. Uh, this movie released December nineteenth, nineteen eighty six, just on a couple months eve of uh, of my birth of my emergence upon the world. Oh my god. Yeah, so this movie was a late submission that year. It got pushed back due to a revised ending. I I read of this. Tell me tell me more. There's something to we'll do. We'll dig in we'll I... dive into it a lot later. Okay. But yeah, they had to reshoot because the original ending based on the musical itself had immense negative test audience feedback. So they had to go back and reshoot the ending and that pushed back the release date. But it was a cozy you know, winter Christmas jam. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so like I mentioned at the top, this is an adaptation of the 1982 off-Broadway musical uh, written by Howard Ashman, composed by Alan Mink. Uh-huh. And which in and of itself was an adaptation of the 1960 comedy horror of the same name by director Roger Corman. I'm going to stop you for a second because your microphone is messed up right now. Is it? Yeah. Uh. As of about 5.30. So how about, am I back? Eh, kind of. Kind Wait, of? Say some things. I'm saying all the things. Oh, yeah, you're better. You're better. Okay. All right. You know, we're just going to fuck it. We're going to leave it in there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Tell me more. Tell me more about the uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, it was an adaptation of the 1982 off-Broadway musical, as I've told you many times already. Our determination to never edit this podcast is truly hilarious. It is, right? (laughs) But, yeah, so the the off-Broadway musical was based off a movie from 1960, directed Mm -hmm. by Roger Corman, doing a little digging... Uh, it's got a young Jack Nicholson in it. I did read that. He's he's playing like the Seymour-ish character. He's playing the Bill Murray character. What? Okay, okay, okay. So one of my notes was like, I think I read that the Bill Murray scene wasn't in whatever original musical uh, production was happening. What was the conversation like around convincing Bill Murray to be in this movie and do that scene? Apparently, he just ad-libbed the whole thing. He's like, I'll be in your your dumb plant movie. Just let me riff the whole time with Steve Martin and just have a blast. I can, I can get into the plot of this, but Steve Martin's song where he starts out talking about how his mother... Uh, when he was growing up, thought he was going to be a psycho, and that immediately transitions into "So I became a dentist." Yeah. Not the biggest laugh of the night out of me. <laughs> I started cackling. That's so funny. I love that. That is one thing that will um, me and my wife will just out of the blue sing to our daughter every so often if she's like messing with our mouths or looking in our teeth or something like that. It's like you'll be a dentist. Mm. You know, it, it's real fun. Yeah, the, I mean, going in order, I guess, the Skid Row song, uh, which I think is the second song after the opening number. Yep. Uh, that's that's what's hooked me. 
the first the first kind of high note that they hit in that song, like immediately something clicked in my brain. The theater kid inside of me that never got to shine was immediately like, I, I want to be a part of this. Yes. I'm so glad I'm so glad that that's that's the, the you know, it got its tendrils in you so early. I love an ensemble. I love that that Motown uh, sound. Uh, mm-hmm. and I love and I, I think we're going to talk about this more that this movie was made in the mid 80s and yet it's it's kind of looking at but also commenting on what feels like the 50s and 60s. Yes. So some of my notes, well I was thinking as I was watching it was like some of the treatment of Audrey in this and the way that she views life is like a little misogynist, a little bit like uh over the top, but then it's almost like they're doing that on purpose, like they're in on the joke a little bit uh because this 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 movie was made so far after that, and yet her her ideal image of like the perfect world is like this fifties housewife sort of situation with like turf instead of a yard. Right. Yeah. Like, and that's that is the whole thing because it's it's based off the off Broadway musical, which is based mm-hmm. off the movie, which was from the sixties. So it was still idealizing that time frame, that retro time frame, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's how it fits all, all into it. So but, just yeah. what what if we're talking about like this being your pick for Mm -hmm. musical march this month uh what what is your history here yeah Uh, so um you know we've already kind of touched on the disney-ish part of it mm -hmm. so aside from the typical disney movies growing up you know i'd never really experienced too many musicals outright Mm -hmm. um and this is one of my first early you know, memories of like, oh, this is like a, this is what a musical is when people say, oh, it's a musical. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember seeing this like, it's probably like 10 or something like that on Comedy Central. So I was in like middle school, early middle school. Um, and it would come on Comedy Central all the time, like throughout middle school and high school for me. So I watched it over and over and over and over again, anytime it came on. And it was just immediately like just blew my mind. And it really started that um love affair that i have with all things retro you know like this doo-wop girl uh girl group music um that googie style the retro style like the old um like las vegas sign that kind of styling Mm -hmm. mid-century modern all that kind of stuff like this was like one of the early touch points for me of like i love this look i love this sound i love all of it I want to talk about the look of the sound stages that this movie is filmed on. Um, I, I love that this is a movie that like, if it wasn't a musical and it was more of just like a, an adaptation of like a play or something, it could be kind of like a horror comedy, but so much of the story is able to be told because it's a musical yeah. and characters can launch into these songs that are essentially like their inner monologues that they couldn't do otherwise. Like so yeah. many of the songs here are just like, yearning um uh internal thoughts from the characters yeah Um, and like you you nailed it too like it it definitely leans into the camp and mm -hmm. overacting of a theater performance and i think that's where they're able to get away with a lot of levity a lot of the not so heavy handedness like it doesn't weigh down the story too much that Mm -hmm. you know the dentist essentially beats audrey (laughs) it's 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 kind of a movie and I, I think camp is the word for it, although I'm not like an expert there. It's kind of a movie about like different extremes all fitting together. Like this, this, 
downtown Skid Row is so extremely dirty. Audrey is so extremely heightened in her weird characterization. She's got this crazy voice, and she wears these like super tight, like sexy outfits, and yet she's like this little ingenue character. Her boyfriend is insane. They literally call him a sadist. Um, Seymour is so extremely clumsy in the beginning. Like it's 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 all just like these so heightened in the way uh, that kind of fits with the tone of the music that they're singing yeah um like this isn't this isn't lame uh, Mis, you know no 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 this is ugh, oh god um i don't think anything about this is supposed to be taken seriously absolutely not it's about a fucking plant from outer space <laughs> that eats people one of my uh uh I, I need to get to the plot description, but one of my notes is, like, this is, like, Justin's second pick where, like, some random older Chinese man gifts them uh, a, a magical being that wreaks havoc. Like, um, dude, like I said in that episode when we were talking about gremlins is what you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just a thing of the 80s. <laughs> that, that was just a shortcut that you could use in the 80s to kick off any plot. Have them go into Chinatown and pick a random item. Yeah. It's so it's so it's such a, a weird trope to dig onto, but you know, um, hey, let's let's circle back a little bit and let me let me run through some some more of these these stats and we can talk about some of the things you mentioned. Yeah. So yeah, so this is a Frank Oz directorial masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Frank Oz, of course, of Muppet fame. He he brought you the classics: Miss Piggy, Fozzie mm-hmm. Bear, mm-hmm. Sam the Eagle. And from Sesame Street too, Cookie Monster, Bert, and Grover. Mm-hmm. Like the man, the man just exudes Muppet energy. Do you want to Mupp- know? Do you want to know what my main thesis is for this movie? What is it? Is that this movie is essentially a movie about Muppet characters? Like these actors could be played by Muppets very easily. They're so heightened in that direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's like that thing where like pick a movie and replace all of the characters except one with a Muppet. You could do that so easily. And like maybe, uh, I don't know, Steve Martin is the, the only human. Left. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I would, I would watch the shit out of that. Either that or you flip it on its head and you make Audrey too like a person. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a plant person. And everybody else is Muppets. The... The voices, the characterizations, how everyone's a little bit zany. Um, everyone's breaking out in songs. Even the way they move is kind of like puppety. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's what I was picturing the entire time. And I, I, I love Frank Oz's influence here. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so yeah, he, he had also directed The Dark Crystal mm-hmm. and The Muppets Take Manhattan amidst a bunch of other movies. So the man knows his way around a camera, knows how to tell a story convincingly. And of course, he can characterize... A smattering of characters. Um, yeah, so $25 million budget for the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. It grossed 39 it's so, kind of a, It's kind of a cult classic. Yeah, so it was a little bit of a disappointment. However, it became an instant hit the next year once it came out on home video, VHS, beta, all the things. And that's really where it found its slot. It's, you know, it's groove and yeah. slid into uh, cult classic um hall of fame you know 
did you watch this growing up as part of like your because you're like you're like a Frank Oz kind of Muppety guy like did you watch this as part of that slew of movies or did you come to it kind of later in life I didn't even know that like Frank Oz was involved with this until like late into high school Mm -hmm. or even later than that I was just like oh shit Frank Oz from the fucking Muppets yeah um (laughs) So I had no idea that the worlds were even adjacent or connected. Mm-hmm. So um, pleasantly surprised as an adult being like, oh, shit, I can see all of those connections here and his influence from those other movies and his other characters and stuff. Super cool. Um, now, Joe, you mentioned you talked about the set and the soundstage. Ugh. This this part of this movie was filmed at the famous Albert Broccoli 007 stage at Pinewood Studios in England. Wait, what's the 007 stage? Did they film a lot of James Bond there or something? They filmed a lot of the OG James Bond movies with uh, Roger Moore and um, (laughs) I want to say George Clooney. That's not it. Uh, But, you know, the OG 007s. Some of the newer Bond films as well. Daniel Craig. Uh Uh, Superman 1, 2, and 3. Some scenes there. The Batcave from 1989. Batman. The Da Vinci Code. Like, it's a very (laughs) famous soundstage. Um. I think the appeal of this musical is that right off the bat, when you first see like our, our Greek chorus, the, the the three girls who are singing about like the opening of Little Shop of Horrors running around this like murky set, I want to live in Skid Row, like right the, the second this movie starts. Uh, even though they're singing about how awful this is, I think the first, one of the first things I texted you as I was watching this is like, this looks like it was filmed on the Men in Black ride at Universal Studios in Florida. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Which yes. like takes you through a, a murky little city like this near shooting aliens. Um, it, it holds such a special place in my heart, how like it's so clearly a soundstage. I love how like, the backgrounds of this like unnamed city is kind of like painted. Uh, I love how they incorporated the train station into it. It's such a cool vibe. Uh, the different levels at play, the different like perspectives where um, you have the the plant shop, but then uh, Audrey lives across the street, so you can have that uh, moment where Seymour can see into her window and stuff like that. Um, and it seems like when you have that first opening number where everyone's talking about Skid Row. It's almost like it feels like it's filmed in one take. Like the camera's just like going from yeah. uh, person to person. You have all these like wacky characters. And I do love, there's like a subtle but quick outfit change where you have the three girls who are like kind of characters within the 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 scene, but then they change into their kind of Greek chorus um, uh, Motown girl group uh, outfit within the same take. Yep. I'm wondering what was happening off camera there where they have to grab like super uh, quick dress changes and stuff like that. Yeah, it's um, it's super cool that I know what scene you're talking about specifically because like they just left the plant shop. Yeah. And that's when they kind of like, introduce like when you're, you know, when you're on skid row, you know, you got to do all this. And then they cut to the, the alleyway, and then that woman is walking up. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, all right, quick change There's on. Like 10 seconds for her to get into that dress. Yeah, so like it's one, and then the other two can be getting ready quicker after that, and then they come in. Super cool. I love that you picked up on that, being, I being the film guy. Loved them. Yeah. Uh, they were my favorite part of this whole entire movie, having that chorus in the background who are like, somewhat morally dubious at certain parts like when he's like deciding whether or not to chop up steve martin's body spoiler alert they're kind of like i can do it man <laughs> they're like i double dare you <laughs> yeah you, you nailed it they are the exact 
Greek chorus. Like that is the way to describe them. Like they are kind of characters in the world, but they're like so far removed. They're kind of just like on the outskirts. It's and... such a fun idea to have that. It's such a fun idea to have them be named after girl groups of the 60s. Their names are like Ronette, Chiffon yeah. and stuff. Um, and have that vibe because it it immediately contributes to like the the out of placeness of this musical like the, they never really specify like what city this is what time period this is the musical comes out in the mid 80s but it's clearly got like a 50s 60s vibe to it um it's it's very much a, a musical that doesn't really exist on our plane of reality not just because it has a you know a man-eating plant alien creature in it uh but more just because it's about the relationships between these characters and their arcs as opposed to trying to set it within a certain time period or a certain place. Yep, absolutely. That That is 100% it. Um, I love that you can do that with musicals because musicals are special. That's that's how they work. That is that is exactly how they work. Um, one last note here, and I know this is for you because you're the Academy Awards boy. Tell this me. this movie was nominated for two. Uh-huh. Best original song. Which one? Uh mean green mother i think it's the last it's the, the the villain song yeah the villain song yeah uh and it was the first oscar nominated song to contain profanity was it really yeah is that when he says like no shit sherlock or something like something like that yeah <laughs> uh and they were also nominated for best visual effects unfortunately they didn't take any one of those home but they were still nominated which is awesome Okay, let us take a little side route right now into the visual effects of this before I get into the plot descriptions. Yep, yep. We can kind of round off with that. The visual effects and puppetry of Audrey 2 were fucking amazing. It's better than, like, anything I have seen in that world. Like, I don't know how this isn't... I'm sure it is talked about more, but, like, that's the best puppetry I have seen, and I'm almost... The thing about it is, like, the lips are insane. And I was wondering the entire time, and I never looked this up, like, is any of that, like, early 80s CGI? Or is it truly, like, they have 8 million little mechanisms beneath the skin on that thing? Yeah, they did some kind of crazy cutting-edge kind of stuff. And Frank Oz, obviously, being from Muppet puppeteering background kind Mm -hmm. of stuff, was able to kind of, like, pull together, you know, this super crew to kind of come up with this. Mm-hmm. Although this isn't like a a, a Henson creature um, centric kind of thing, um, no, it's got like one puppet in it. Yeah, and but it's it's not even it wasn't even uh, uh, related to it. Like it wasn't Henson, um, you know, his whole crew. Oh, Henson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Henson himself commented and said to Frank Oz or, or about the movie that you know, like the the lip sync on the puppet is so. Hens- Insane. So good. So, so good. The way the lips, you can literally, I mean, the mouth looks like an alien vagina or something like that, but like (laughs) you can literally see the words being formed by the tongue and the lips. Like it's so great instead of just opening and closing like the Muppets on like Sesame Street would. Yeah, it's really um, remarkable what what they were able to accomplish. And it definitely holds up. It aged incredibly well. Yeah. Yeah, like you couldn't see that be done better in like a CGI format if they Absolutely were in this not. movie today. And I love the fact that like um, this, uh, what I did read up on this film is that like because it's such a small cast, it's kind of such a small setting, a lot of 
smaller productions like to adapt this uh, musical, a lot of like high school productions. I love the idea of having Audrey 2 like be the challenge. Like how are you going to interpret Audrey 2 yeah. in your uh, version of this? Because obviously there's like an insane amount of moving parts uh, that go with it. it. Eventually you have like backup singers that are coming out of the roots. How do you do that? Uh, it's yeah. so cool to look at. Yeah, we'll touch on that here in a second. But um, before we go any further, Joe, let's let's look at this trailer. Oh, and then and then we'll let you take your hand, your take your stab at you know the the, the plot. Give it to me. Here we go. It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses! Where strange as it seems. Something extraordinary happened. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. No, it's not. What kind of a weird plot is that, Seymour? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. I first of all, I like that they say that he's a boy, <laughs> not a boy. He's a man. <laughs> anyway. Looks like you're not happy. As I open a vein, where did you get such a weird plan? A florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. save it all month for this i think i need a root canal i'm sure i need a long slow root canal and a plant how am i supposed to keep on feeding you Rick Moranis. Man's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me what? That's better. Vincent Gardinia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's your professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. Amazing. Uh, amazing so good uh like how do they get those guest appearances in this uh little independent broadway uh movie you got john candy who i keep forgetting is in this but every time i think about it uh i i gasp because um his his performance is one of the most heightened in the entire film right he's doing crazy radio dj thing everybody's heightened like that's the thing like no there is no like one straight <laughs> character everybody's operating at 11. Mm. um cool so while that's fresh in your brain while you have the visuals and everything you want to go ahead and just do the plot joe i'm scared yeah yes i got it are now are you going to are you gonna sing are you gonna sing the plot i cannot i cannot do that <laughs> Okay. I, I, I have uh, some thoughts on that later in the episode. Okay, great. Uh, you might want to get ready for it. Just saying. Um, anyway, so I'm going to give you one minute on the clock. Okay. And you're going to give us the plot. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. 
Here we go. Uh, go. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors is about Seymour Krellborn. He's this nerdy, clumsy guy who works at a plant shop in an unspecified city. Um, he has a crush on Audrey, who is the woman who works with him. Uh, and he works under the uh, plant guy, Mr. Mushnik, who owns it. Um, the, the, plant the plant shop sucks. No one buys anything until... Um, Seymour discovers this uh, crazy plant uh, at a shop downtown and brings it uh, to the plant shop. Um, and that's what it starts to attract a bunch of uh, customers to the plant shop. Um, and, uh, oh God. Um, and as the, uh, as the plant uh, grows more and more famous, it also literally grows. And it turns out the plant has a taste for human blood uh, and wants Seymour to murder people to feed uh, it to him which he kind of somewhat does, um, and he feeds Audrey's abusive boyfriend to the plant, and um, things spiral out of control, and eventually um, they do get together and destroy uh, the yep. plant. Oh my god, I had a brain malfunction in the middle of that. I could tell. Yeah. Um, you still did good, though. You still did good. Yeah. You pulled so, it out. This, this movie, first and foremost, is like a love story. Um, between Seymour and Audrey. Yes. Um, and the plant is kind of the the third main character here because, spoiler alert, it talks and sings, uh, even though it's a man-eating plant from outer space. Don't you forget. Um, and one of the questions I have just, like, on my list of thoughts here is, even though there ends up being a happy ending, Seymour, you know, rejects fame, rejects the plant, and he and Audrey finally get together and get married and stuff. Seymour should definitely be in jail, right? He's, yeah, he's he, somewhat responsible for two murders in this film. I mean, he didn't stop them. He he like aided and abetted. Like, are there are there such things as like crimes of omission or something like that, where you kind of just let something happen? Yeah, and then, I mean, obviously, you know, brutally chopping up a dead body it will incur some some jail time in and of itself. And Very then, like, tampering with uh, a crime scene. Yeah, definitely doing that. And then, like, allowing his boss to get murdered as well. Yeah, he, he's going to jail. He's going to jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think the last uh, sequence of the film is all just a hallucination while he's in jail. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been just a depressing cut? <laughs> um, tell me more, though, about the ending of the film that got cut. Do you know anything about why it was so badly reviewed? Yeah, so we'll, we'll jump back. We'll jump to that. Uh, I have that towards the end with my trivia and Easter eggs, but we'll go ahead and talk about it because fuck it. Um, all right, so the original ending is based on the musical. Mm-hmm. So the original ending is way more depressing than the <laughs> they live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the story plays out the same, except for like the final confrontation. Um, Audrey 2 still calls Audrey 1 over. Um, he does still like try to eat her. Seymour tries to pull her out, but she is now mortally wounded. Oh, she, okay. I, that's what I was wondering when she got pulled out of the mouth. I was like, how bad is she bleeding right now? Yeah, like she has a throwaway line. A throwaway line. She's like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> but in the original ending, um, she's mortally wounded after being pulled out uh, and then requests to be fed to the plant so Seymour can go on and live his dreams. Oh, wow. So he feeds 
her to Audrey too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's like disheveled about it, I think. And then Audrey too is kind of like teasing him too. So they still kind of have that standoff fight. Um, but he ultimately loses. He, he gets eaten by mm-hmm. Audrey too. And then it cuts to essentially like what the Belushi character was pushing for mm-hmm. in, in the, the redone edit where he's like, Hey, you know, let me buy that plant and there'll be Audrey twos in every, every store across America and every home. Uh, and that's what happens. Um, it cuts to like a crazy store scene, like people at the door, like begging to get in. The doors open, everyone rushes in. They grab an Audrey plant two off the shelf and bring it to their house. And then it's just mayhem ensues. Giant plants are just crushing buildings. Everything's on fire, explosions. The militia and you know army could show up and they can't take <laughs> it down. And it's hilarious. And it's the end of the world. The giant plants multiply and take over the world thanks to capitalism. It's great. It's it's kind of a story about um the the curse of fame. Uh and you can you can tell that the story is kind of leading there until obviously they they change the ending because the second um Seymour puts Audrey 2 in the window, the 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 plant shop starts to get more and more famous uh for no like real apparent reason other than the fact that like no one's really seen that plant before. Yeah. Um and then he gets like television deals he he starts to like um do things for the plant he wants to do he wants to kill people for the plant in order to keep it growing keep it alive um and and then like you're saying in this original ending eventually he has to like sacrifice the thing he loves most to keep this plant thing going um and it's like it's 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 a metaphor for how much you really have to give up to kind of stay on top in this world. Yeah, uh, dude. Essentially giving up your entire being, uh, apparently, as well. Yeah, and that's why, like, it is such a bummer. So I can get, I can understand why, you know, a lot of test audiences were like, this, uh-uh, no. And, like, honestly, that ending sequence is, like, 10 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's bananas. I highly recommend you go on YouTube and look it up later. Because it's like, oh, this is such a, not the... <laughs> the right ending right like it's like a deleted scenes thing on youtube yeah it's bonkers um but yeah check it out uh it's it's insane so um speaking of you know once once seymour first puts audrey two in the window and they start getting business did you happen to notice who that first customer was justin of Of course course you did who the first customer was uh and this is gonna segue into a fun little fun little thing i have it's christopher guest yeah love it can I tell you? Can I tell you? Tell me. Well, Christopher Guest is great in this movie. He's he playing is. this like insanely faced character who's got like uh, insanity behind his eyes as he talks about like wanting to buy roses because he saw this crazy plant in the window. Yeah. Uh, and again, it, it it does contribute to the idea of like this this city, this story does not p- exist on this plane of reality. Um, but I thought about Christopher Guest. I thought about Bill Murray. This movie that we are talking about right now comes at such an interesting point in the timeline of this podcast. And there's like several, several of the movies that we have covered so far. We're on like what, episode 13? Yep. Uh, Yes. This is episode 13. Yep. It refers back to so many of them. Um, I know. Let me, let me talk you through it. Do it. Um, So obviously we have Christopher Guest who went on to direct a lot of movies. One of them being Best in Show that we covered. 
Obviously, we have Bill Murray, which was our uh, a couple episodes ago uh, in Lost in Translation during our Love miniseries. Um, that became his first um, Academy Award nomination, even though it clearly should have been for this performance. Um, <laughs> then, going a little deeper, um, the idea of having a Greek chorus commenting on the action uh, and kind of going in and out of the story themselves. I don't know if there's a, an exact connection here, but it just feels so over the garden wall. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, the idea of like something being a little bit mythical. Uh, there's like some sort of like lesson that needs to be learned here. It's very over the garden wall. Um, and then also I'm thinking about like Seymour as a character, Rick Moranis's performance as Seymour and how, especially in the song suddenly Seymour, how he's kind of like wipe off your makeup and stuff like his version of the nice guy archetype who like just wants the girl because he's so nice. Why doesn't the girl love me? Uh, it, it turned me off a little bit, but then I kind of realized that uh, he's uh, the creators of this movie are maybe a little bit more in on the joke than say like, can't hardly wait. Yeah. Where you have Ethan Embry's character who's like really legitimately just wondering why Jennifer Love Hewitt isn't with him because he's the nice guy. Yeah. And then they do end up together at the end of that because it's a 90s teen movie. Um, in this version, it's a little bit more sarcastic in the way that he and um, Audrey get together because it's they're in this ridiculous setting. Um, and it's almost like they're, they're commenting on the idea, like these two should be together as opposed to like, these two should be together. Right. Yes. And then the final kind of the final layer of hell in, in all of my notes, here, <laughs> um, in terms of like referring back to movies, uh, that we have done previously, I could, I could probably write a 10 page paper on the fact that this story is the exact same as gremlins. Yes, you're right. It, it pretty much is. You get this like magical, strange creature from this older Asian man in the city. You bring it back. Uh, you're trying to kind of like use it to boost your own popularity and somehow make money off of it. And it, of course, ends up wreaking havoc and wanting to multiply itself. Yep. And yep. It, it, it all comes down to going down, going on with the female character. Yep. It it. There, <laughs> yes, um, it, it's you know, giving into something you don't understand, um, something that's definitely not for you. It's not from this plane. It's not for this reality. That kind of thing, and it's the playing on the greed yeah. of the individual, of society, of capitalism, of all that kind of stuff. It was. I mean, it was obviously those two movies were released around the same time. It was. It seems like it was such an '80s thing just to comment on capitalism in that way by having a literal character in the middle of the movie be this like greedy um thirsty uh must eat everything type of uh force within the story yeah yeah uh, dude. and it's green so it's like it's money yeah dude 100 <laughs> equals money question mark <laughs> audrey too is the industrial banking complex uh i just had to make that list because it, it just it did feel like such a coming together of so many of the stuff, things that we've talked about so far in all of our recent episodes. This movie is strangely like smack in the middle of the board where all the red yarn connects mm -hmm. to. We're doing the it's always sunny thing pointing at the board. Uh, come on. Um, all right, a couple more Easter eggs here. So I already mentioned that Bill Murray ad-libbed all of his dialogue um, with, with Steve Martin, which is 
bonkers. He's this <laughs> masochistic, loves pain, like in love with the dentist himself, or just loves just, pain. The like, second I realized what was happening with his character got like probably the second biggest laugh out of the movie for me is like Steve Martin is obviously this like sadist. Bill Murray comes in and is clearly a masochist who just wants to be operated. <laughs> I was like, why is this happening? And he's like on the verge of passing out, just seeing all these giant sharp tools. And he's just like, uh, I love it. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the story. It's I know it's such a weird departure from the rest of the story, but. Oh, it, it's so funny. It plays so well. I love it. Mm. Um, all right. So another note here about Ellen Green. Yes. Who plays Audrey. Huge fan. She was the original off-Broadway Audrey. Mm -hmm. So that's how she got in with this role. Even though the studio really wanted Cindy Lauper. Okay. And I'm glad they didn't go with Cindy Lauper because Ellen Green being brings such panache to she this role. Brings kind of like a Tim Burton-y vibe to it. Like she's very tall. She's like mm -hmm. platinum blonde. She's got this like high voice and these almost like doll-like features, these huge eyes. Um, it made me think of, um, what is the movie? The the Martian one. Mars Attacks. So Mars Attacks, but also like Sweeney Todd as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was kind of a related movie here. Um, but the weirdest part that I was thinking of uh, getting into like the, the Audrey 2 of it all, the plant, um, the blood bits in this movie weirdly made me like more squeamish than like a an ultra violent uh movie would something about like him pricking his finger and then like the plant sucking it yeah uh, just like the, the the sound design even oh uh, yeah that was insane and how like he you could see like the blood within the plant's mouth whenever he removed it. And you can tell like, as the movie goes on, he has more and more bandages on his finger. He's been feeding the plant. Ugh. Yeah. It's, it definitely elicits a visceral reaction. It's like, a, it's like a needles thing. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally see that. Uh, that part doesn't bother me, but it does like further impress me again on like just the puppeteering, you know, yeah. even when it's little, it's a little, little guy in the the coffee can and it's just like doing that like snapping motion yeah like th it looks so convincing and then again like with the lips and when it's like sucking his finger it's insane i love the evolution of the plant here it's like a pokemon it starts out tiny and then it gets medium sized and then it gets huge yeah and it increases in uh not only its vocabulary skills but its quest for just mayhem and death mm. it's great I want to talk about Rick Moranis for a second. Let's talk about Rick Moranis. Who doesn't love Rick Moranis? And he is so good in this movie. And I was so pleasantly surprised to hear how well Rick Moranis can sing. Because uh, I've never really heard that before. Dude, um, can, he can belt. I was talking to you earlier about how I can't sing. And I'm kind of horrified for whatever game you've come up with at the end that may involve singing. Um... All I want in life is to have Rick Moranis's singing voice. And I don't think it's too much to ask because he sounds so good in this movie. Um, Audrey. So Ellen Greens, is that her name? Yes. Uh, voice is like her range is kind of insane. She kind of um, she starts off with this like 
this speaking voice that's like super high uh, and childlike almost. But then when she when she lets her emotions out in a song, it kind of gets a little bit deeper and more like resonant. It's kind of crazy what she could do. Yeah. And then Rick Moranis, on the other hand, is more like, um, what's the? I don't know any of these musical terms to say it, but like his his is more um, stable and like f- flat isn't the correct word. No, um, but he he's kind of working within a smaller range, but he's still a powerhouse in there, and it sounds so good yeah. uh, when paired with these other voices. Yeah. Um. So. I think some of the musical terms or just musicality terms. So like Audrey's speaking voice is that high pitched, whatever nasally up in mm-hmm. her head, it's head voice, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's very breathy. It's very, you know, so, not right. her, not her real voice. Mm-hmm. You can tell like she's trying to put on this persona. And then, like you said, when she is tearing down and kind of like being more emotive and being real, her singing voice is coming from her chest, from her diaphragm, mm-hmm. and it's so powerful. The second this movie hooked me was her big note that comes first in the in the Skid Row song. When yeah. she just belts it out, I was like, okay, I'm in. I, I want more of this. It's so good. And then Rick Moranis' uh, song, I think he's when he's going back and forth with the plant mm-hmm. of like, um, you know, go go kill the, the, the dentist or whatever. And he's just like, ah, I don't know. And, but then he like sit, hits a really good strong like I don't know and it's so good so good it's just like so solid you know yeah, it Not, really is it's it's such a strong voice in a way yeah it's I think he's like a tenor I think mm-hmm. um, correct me if I'm wrong anybody else uh, in in the comments on on Instagram I think he's Re- a strong tenor and then tell us if we're wrong about these musical terms absolutely school us a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's like a strong tenor. I think, I think of him as like a really strong, um, you know, like Joey Fatone, Mm. you know, like obviously overshadowed by the two leading guys in NSYNC, but he's a really strong singer. He's doing solid work that acts as a great foundation for the other ones. If you strip that out of the quintet, like you lose all the, all the body. Mm, mm, mm. Um, Um, can I talk yeah, about tell me- character Seymour a little bit? One of the things yeah. I did know about Little Shop of Horrors going into this is that there's been a trend recently with like the the Broadway remakes that they have where Seymour's becoming like too hot, uh, and they're trying to get him back to being like uh, a little more nerdy and schleppy. Yeah, uh, I think the latest person to play Seymour on like a major like off Broadway production was Jonathan Groff, who's like the the king from Hamilton, he he's in Frozen and stuff. Who's like this like hunky guy kind of, even though they, they make him look kind of nerdy. But people are really wanting to go back to like Seymour needs to be this like twig of a guy, you know? Like he needs yeah. to uh be kind of like a, a nothing he can trip over his own shoelaces. It's he's an interesting uh he's meek. Yeah, he's meek, he's meager, he's like you said, he's clumsy, he's not um you know, traditionally mm-hmm. good looking or handsome. But I mean, like you can look past the, the dorky glasses and the high waisted pants or whatever. He's still he's still a good looking guy in this movie. Oh. Rick Moranis is a little cutie in this movie. Yeah. Um Joe, I, that's that's two in a row. I we're on kind of a roll of like Billy Crystal Rick Moranis. Yeah. Just just little little cuties. This yeah. is our little cutie segment. Um I, I was texting a friend while I was watching the movie. I was like 
Rick Moranis looks like what every cool hipster guy today looks like. He's got this little like vest and these pants and these glasses and that haircut. Um, any of us today would wish, would dream of looking like that. Uh, some would kill. Some would that. kill. Some would feed to plant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another famous person, uh, I know they did, they brought back like an off-Broadway revival of it. Mm-hmm. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Exactly. was was the Seymour. Yeah. And they they even brought back Ellen Page or Ellen Page. Um Ellen, Ellen Green. Ellen Green, Elliot, Elliot Page. Elliot Page. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um but yeah, Ellen Green, she came back as Audrey and there was like a 20 30 year discrepancy between the two, but it was still great to to have her back on stage. See, Elliot Page should play Seymour is the thing. Um. Yes. Okay, so actually, you know what? There was a um a push to do a remake Mm-hmm. Very recently, uh-huh. um, uh, as as early as twenty twenty, I think they were still in in talks about it. I'd watch it, but it was canceled. Wouldn't be as good. I would watch it though. It was canceled. Hang on, let me look this up. Let me see who who they had slotted for this. Uh, canceled remake, twenty twenty. Taron Edgerton. Oh yeah, I believe it again. Too hot. Too hot. But- the hottest hunkiest guy out there right now. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson is Audrey. Okay. Billy Porter voicing Audrey too. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then they were going to have Chris Evans play Dr. Scrivello, the that dentist. Makes, that makes sense. I think these are all like very conven- conventionally attractive people. I think if we're going to capture the vibe of this version of Little Shop of Horrors, the proportions need to be a little bit off. Yeah. Like, Audrey needs to be a little too tall. Seymour needs to be a little too schleppy. Uh, the dentist needs to be a little too insane. <laughs> Yeah, don't give me Captain America as a crazy dentist. Like, I'll still watch it, but, like, that's not the right move. This story is about dipping a toe into the extreme. Yeah, into the absurd. Speaking uh, of absurd, Joe, look at this disgusting cocktail that I have. Oh, my God. What a segue. Tell me about it. Look at it. Like, first of all, t- describe to the listeners what it looks like. Okay, Justin is currently holding a coupe glass that contains what can only be described as if you poured pea soup into the pensieve from Harry Potter. <laughs> that is amazing. That's very apt. Tell You're me, right. Tell me what's happening here. So this is based on... Okay, so backstory. I wanted to make, obviously, something green with this cocktail because of the plant life and all that kind of stuff. Obviously. But I wanted to use fresh ingredients only because hashtag keep it fresh. Hashtag. Um, I don't have like fresh mint. I don't have fresh basil or anything like that. But what I do have that was fresh in the fridge was cilantro. Unconventional herb to use in cocktails. So I found my way, stumbled upon a cocktail recipe for a cilantro sour Oh, but I, I twisted it around a little bit and added some other stuff. So what I'm calling this and it is apt because of what it looks like. This is a Skid Row gutter sour. Oh, hell so yeah. It looks like ooze kind of looks like gutter water. It's it's dirty brown, green, whatever. So what this is to rearrange the DNA of some turtles. It very well could. Yeah. Um, so what this is, this is Empress Gin. I ruined the good gin. 
I love Empress Gin. With this, uh, so it's got gin, simple syrup, handful of cilantro, muddled, you know, some lime juice, and then on the top there's there's floating cilantro that you have to slap to express the herb itself. Justin, and, yeah, there's so that? many like murky puddles filled with random things in this movie that fits perfectly. I know it's so great. Uh, one other joke that I have to get in here. So with slapping slapping the cilantro. <laughs> I, I was describing this cocktail to, to Ryan before I made it, and I gave her my best RuPaul does share impersonation of snap out of it. Because uh, <laughs> you have to slap the cilantro. Um, and it worked because it, ta- it actually tastes really good. Yeah, we can't go through this podcast without mentioning that the guy who plays um, the shop owner, what's his name? Mr. Mushnik is the dad from Moonstruck, uh, which is yes. such a fun movie. Yeah, uh, there you go. Connections. So good in that. What do you got? What are you drinking? Um, I don't have much to show because I've been sipping on it this whole entire time, but if you look closely, you can see that there's dripping blood around the rim, and I have kind of like a green concoction in the middle. So this is called Something That's Green. Uh, we both kind of went down the same route there. It is one part vodka, half a part Suze, uh, which is apparently this green-ish uh, liquid that you can put into drinks. Um, okay. Half a part blue curacao, which has kind of been a recurring theme in a lot of my cocktails. Yeah. Um, a part club soda, a little bit of orange bitters, and then um, we have kind of a simple syrup thing that we sometimes mix with food coloring, and that's what's on the rim here. And uh, Jonathan made it up to look like blood dripping, and I think it worked out pretty well. It's amazing. It looks so good. I hope you got a really good picture, because I know I did. Yeah, I did. This is great. This is really fun. Um, we did really well on the cocktails this time. We really did. We really tried it. We, you know, shown, shown it out. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a quick little tangential piece. I think we mentioned it in the episode, but um, the next episode that's coming out in March... Mm-hmm. We already did it. <laughs> we already did it. Um, so the episode 14, I believe, but we recorded it like a month ago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because it, it was we were just capitalizing on a moment in time. I think we describe it in that episode, but we'd already done that. But yeah. in that episode, we both drink green cocktails, too. Did we both do green? Oh, we did. We yeah, did. we did. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll give a little preview at the end of this this episode as is tradition. Um, yeah. But people will probably understand why from that point. Yeah, yeah. So we'll dig into that a little bit more. Um, so March, yes. uh, as is fitting because of St. Patrick's Day, we're just greening right. cocktails across the board. Just greening it up. Um, cool. So a couple more things before we wrap up. You know, we talked about how this stage show or whatever mm-hmm. can easily be translated. Uh, to any stage, um, be it amateur or professional. And you mentioned specifically like a high school musical type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty certain, I'm pretty sure, my memory's hazy, but I'm pretty certain my high school put on a rendition of Little Shop of Horrors while I, was, while I was there. And I remember it being so just over the top and hammy. And I just remember the cast just having a blast with it. 
I can sometimes judge how good a musical is by how jealous I get and how much I want to be a part of it. And yes! Sing my little heart out because in my high school, we didn't have theater. The best we had was mock trial um, <laughs> where you could just like get up and improvise about law. Um, so, how'd you do? How'd you do with that? Oh, did you do uh, it? no, I did not. Uh, my, my siblings did. And I would watch from the audience and be like a spectator, uh, a, a very engaged spectator that, that shit is like Shakespeare. Uh, if, you, if you're doing it correctly. And you guys would probably like discuss it on the way home in yeah. the chart and the charter van on the way All back to talking about like, uh, how the judge was unfair in that one ruling. Yes. <laughs> I can only imagine it. Just the Murphy, the Murphy crew, just, just a, a buzz. Ultimately, the, the the theater kid energy that didn't ex- get to find a place with me in high school has sprinkled itself across my life mm-hmm. uh, in the way where if I come across a musical like this, I go a little crazy. And I've listened to the soundtrack to this eighty times, Justin. I know, I know you did. And this is a good segue to we'll we'll talk about the the, the soundtrack here. So like. Obviously, you've been listening to it day in, day out mm-hmm. uh, for the past several days. And it's it's well-deserved because it is banger after banger. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Skid Row is the one that immediately got its tendrils into you mm-hmm. because it is so well-written. It is the standard kind of, like you talked about, the Disney kind of kind of explaining what's going on, giving the lay of the land. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when there's like the key change to like the perspective of Seymour there's and then they switch it back. There's it's, probably like something scientific, something mathematical about how a key change can like hook your brain, and that's that's what's happening to me. Yeah, there there's this guy on TikTok. I can't remember his name, but he goes through like um, musical theater numbers and stuff of like this is why this works because, and this is the musical nerds part of it of just like instead of jumping to the fifth, they actually do the fourth. And it's more dramatic because there's more tension. And then it resolves itself with the first again. It's just like, it's crazy. My little monkey brain want more. It really does. But yeah. So like, let's talk more about Alan Menken. You know, we talked about doing scores for the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mm. Hercules, the little mermaid, Aladdin. He is one of the 18 EGOT winners. Oh, obviously. Obviously. This guy. Yeah. And, and he is one of two only people two in the world who is also a regot. What's a, what's the R there? The Razzie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what he got it for, but he's, he's one of two people. Who's the the other one? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Oh God. But we should look that up who the other person is, but like this dude has just like medals of honor. So Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, Razzie. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah. The guy can get it. But yeah, this soundtrack is just, it's so good. Um, no one does a yearning song like Mencken. Like if you listen to um, Hunchback of Notre Dame, which probably is my favorite uh, soundtrack of that Disney Renaissance era. Mm. Um, not just because I grew up Catholic and that's the most Catholic movie of all time. Um, <laughs> but like uh quasimodo singing out there in hunchback of notre dame like takes you to a place that is spiritual i believe right yeah um and just paired with the right visuals like his songs can be like transportative oh i i definitely can can get that you absolutely get that with this soundtrack uh to me hercules is the standout from from that set because it's kind of 
it kind of has the same kind of vibe here with yeah. like the Greek chorus, um, with the muses and everything, um, kind of that doo woppy girl group kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of uh, Meg's song um, Meg's... from Hercules. So Hunchback of Notre Dame has my favorite soundtrack as a whole. Meg's song from Hercules, uh, Won't Say I'm In Love, is maybe my favorite Disney song. Yeah, it's it fucking that rips. shit bops. So. And it feels and it feels like it could fit in with this soundtrack. Yeah. Honestly. It really could. It could slide in uh seamlessly, honestly. The best movie songs sound like Broadway songs. Yeah. Fight fight me. <laughs> fight Joe on that. Go we'll give out his personal Instagram. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in that hot take now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're gonna give out his personal Instagram, DM him and fight him on it. Um, personal instagram that has yet to be connected to this podcast in any way yeah uh <laughs> and just a heads up joe fights dirty in the dms he fights dirty yeah um yeah so before we wrap up do you want to talk about some of just like some of your favorite standout scenes or shots or lines or anything like that i loved the the way that um audrey's version of a perfect life is a lot of plastic and fake 50s uh memorabilia it feels like um it's it it fits her it fits her character so much like how fragile she is of course she would have this version that's like um kind of the the quintessential um housewife uh, yeah in that way. uh i i also i love re-watching the skid row scene how it switches from like um character to character how um, Audrey in that uh, in that song like kind of feels glamorous in a way, and then it switches quickly to like a hobo on the street who's like singing super low. Um, there's like just there's there's so much fun contrast between like the muck and the glamour uh, mm -hmm. in this in this movie. Um, and then yeah, the the dentist scene <laughs> it's just it feels like an SNL sketch. It really does like it, but it's so it's executed so well, and Bill Murray. And Steve Martin just play off each other so well. And uh, I feel like we ha we haven't talked enough about Audrey too as the plant, but there were so many scenes where I laughed out loud where it was like the plant operating the payphone um, and like doing little tiny movements with the coins and then like twiddling its fingers while it <laughs> while it calls. It's such a genius move, and I love that someone thought about that and said, like, hey, what if we, how could we get, like, puppeteer a tendril to, like, you know how, like, you kind of twirl your, your finger around yeah. the phone cord or, um, you know, check the, the, the coin return after you hang up a payphone, right? So much of the problem they faced in this movie is, like, how do we make this plant more uh, human in a way in, in its extremities? Um I have all caps in my notes at one point. The plant has a gun um, because the plant does get a gun and start firing. <laughs> um, and then my last note is uh, the plant blows up at the very end because they electrocute it. And the, the image looks exactly like the Death Star blowing up in Star Wars. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And again, Frank Oz doing the voice of Yoda. He's like, hang on. I know a guy over at ILM. Like, We're let's just read. Just scene for scene. Yes. Yeah. Just. Let's borrow that footage of the Death Star blowing up. We'll do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. hilarious. But um, yeah, anytime Audrey's on on screen, because um, she is so like stark. You know, you mentioned it's the the push and pull of muck and glamour. Mm -hmm. Anytime she's on screen, she just commands it. 
Um, it's a monster with lipstick on. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, the dentist song, the dentist scene, uh, Skid Row is great. Just just everything really about this movie holds like such a, a, a firm place in my heart of like, this was my first musical kind of like exposure. And it like, it's a damn good one. It's this a damn is- good one. This is so great. I'm I'm so glad I watched it and is now added to my my little repertoire now. I, I'm surprised you also haven't mentioned that like, you know, we both used to watch Family Guy pretty regularly. <laughs> and I know that you have seen both of those segments from Family Guy that are riffing on this okay. movie. Can I tell you? I haven't googled it yet or YouTubed it or whatever, but I know exactly what you're talking about where they're making fun of like when he's first going to get the plant from like downtown. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing like the da whoop or whatever in the background. Yeah. What's happening in family guy that like makes that happen. Like what is the cutaway? It's uh, I think it's Mort. I think <laughs> uh, uh, John Leguizamo's character, like he's doing something, he's going downtown to do something, but like they're riffing on that, that whole scene. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is Herbert, the old man, dreaming about his life with Chris. And, <laughs> and it is somewhere that's green. I know you've seen it because it's so hilarious. And it is almost shot for shot of that scene of Audrey dreaming about living in better homes and gardens. And, and like, uh, check it out. It's it's so much fun. Ah. Uh. So great. Yeah, I uh, there's there's so much stuff I need to revisit now after watching this movie. Yeah, dude. like you're going to have a blast with it. And um, I'm really excited that it is now a part of your just just repertoire mm. of uh, of go to soundtracks. I know you're a big soundtrack guy Huge. and now musicals. Mm. It's canon now. It is canon. <laughs> it's canon in the Joe story. <laughs> Um, cool. Any other closing thoughts before we get to the end game here, Joe? Um, <laughs> one of my notes was like, <laughs> Seymour has a line about how he's working on a new plant. That's not a thing. <laughs> you don't work on a you new plant. Plants in a plant store. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I've been working on a new one. It's like they're selling iPhones. And he's releasing <laughs> He's working on a new type of cell phone. Their like, selling point is we're releasing a new plant, and that's what it'll, that's what'll get the people coming. <laughs> that's not how plants work, folks. Mushnik, that's not how they work. It's uh, so good. One last note. I know we, we kind of talked about it during the the Christopher Guest of it all, but like once they put Audrey Two out on display, and all these customers come in, mm-hmm. and it's like these rich fuddy duddy people. Yeah, like they obviously don't live on Skid Row. Where yeah. are they coming from? They're hearing about it on the radio. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Where, what are these gentrifying yuppies doing in my downtown Skid Row area? They want to see this new plant. Get out of here. <laughs> That's not how, I, I don't know. I don't know how plants work. But anyway, so Joe, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that we, we got to do that and um, watch this movie together. Another connection to our future episode Um uh, Wussy Mag in Atlanta also put on this show a couple years ago, and uh, Ryan and I went to go see it oh. uh, at the Plaza Theater, and it was the extent—not the extended—it was the original ending version. Oh wow! It's so rad. It was so rad. It was very cool. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So, uh, are you ready to buckle up and get into this end game here? I am so scared, but yes, you should be. So this yeah. is. 
this is, as as most things um this was a love connection uh between my wife and I to put this together she put she had a lot of hand in this um and you'll see and you'll understand momentarily are you ready joe this is the game that we have at the end of every podcast episode correct correct yes i'm ready here we go so here's how we're gonna play this week's game you see i'm gonna give you the latin name of something and it'll be your job to decide if it's the real scientific name of an actual plant or something else entirely. Now, you'll probably want to enlist your boyfriend for help. You know, since he most definitely would know all of the answers. Well, you're just going to have to try and do your very best, Joe, because this is the Totally Fucked Up Plant Show. i'll let you compose yourself i'll hold for laughter i just want to give the listeners some context here um my boyfriend was a botany major in college so he literally wouldn't know all of the answers to this goddamn quiz (laughs) Um, justin did who who was helping record that was that ryan's voice or no that was Ryan's voice. Hell yeah. Shout out yeah. to Ryan. She's getting credited on this episode. And she also helped me with this quiz. So here we go, Joe. This is the Totally Fucked Up Plant Show. Is it a plant or something else? Uh, I'm going to give me a Latin name. I'm going to give you the, the common Latin name of something. Something. Mm-hmm. And tell me if it's a plant or not. Basic, basic just true or false. Yes or no. Okay. Half, however... You can get bonus points if you can just correctly identify what it is. I will not, but we'll see how this goes. Okay, so uh, bear with me because this is Latin, and unlike my wife, who very much did letter in Latin in high school, I did not. I took Latin in uh, elementary and middle school, but I remember very little of it. Here we go. Question number one, Dianea music pulpa. Sorry, Musipola. Dianea Musipola. Is it a plant or not? True or false? Hmm. Is, can I ask a question about the rules here? Sure. If it's not a plant, is it something else? Or could it be like you just made up these words? It's something else. It's a real thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So all these things are Latin. Correct. Dianea Musipola. I'm going to say no. Uh, you should have gone with your instinct. It's true. God damn. That's the Latin for Venus flytrap. Totally right. on theme, Joe. God damn. Yeah. Just the game. It's gonna be. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, here we go. Animus nocendi. Animus nocendi. So animus means like either animal or like living. Um, nocendi. Is it a plant or not? True or false? I'm going to say false. You'd be correct. Okay. You'd be correct. That oh, yeah. is uh, the legal term for intention to harm. <laughs> yep, you keeping up? All right, here we go. Number three, 
Euglossa bazinga. That's not real. It is real. You know what? I think I do know what this is. It's something that the the scientists named it after Big Bang Theory, after they discovered it. I'm going to say, yes, it is a plant. Uh, you got the right thing, but it's still wrong. It's a bee species found in Brazil. Justin, how am I supposed to do this? <laughs> <laughs> it is named after the catchphrase of the fictional character, Dr. Sheldon Cooper, from the TV show Big Bang Theory. Uh, I'm sorry, Joe. That is an X. Even though you were on the right track, you were so damn close. I'm gonna I'm gonna call foul on that play because bazinga is not a Latin word, but we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four, Nesoteris rhomboteryx. Rhomboteryx, Nesoteris, Nessa, Nessa. Um, I'm gonna say yes. It's a plant. Ah, it's false. That's the Loch Ness monster. Should have known. It's Nesoteris, uh, and uh, it is Greek for Ness inhabitant with diamond-shaped fin. So you're not even giving me Latin words at this point. I mean, I look up Latin or scientific name, and it's mostly Latin. I don't know. That's what it said. I'm about to Uh, sue. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, Amorphophallus titanum. Amorphophallus titanum. So phallus is kind of like a protuberance thing. Amorphophallus titanum. So like a strong, you know, plants have weird things coming up. I'm going to say yes, this is a plant. That'd be correct. It is uh, true. It is the corpse flower Mm. known for its distinct smell. Stank. It's got the stank on it. Okay. Uh, number turning, six. Turning this around. Yep, here you go. There's still time. Uh, Victoria Amazonica. Mm. Was this like the secret Latin word for the Amazon River or something? Okay, the Amazon has a lot of plants. I'm going to say yes, a plant. It is true, yes. That is uh, a giant water lily or the Amazon water lily. Okay. Grow up to eight feet across, Joe. Okay, that's kind of nice. All right, number seven, Habebo Quad Habebe. Say that one more time. Your microphone's kind of going in and out. Habebo Quad Habebe. <laughs> um, I'm going to say no, not a plant. You're correct. That is the Latin translation for I'll have what she's having. There you go. That's the callback. And there we go. Number eight, Joe, Canis lupus familiaris. Canis lupus is a werewolf. Um, I'm going to say no, not a plant. Correct. That is the scientific name for a common dog. Oh, okay. You've done good. Well done. <laughs> Number nine, cannabis sativa. <laughs> Sup. That's a plant. True, that is a plant. That is for weed, folks. That's for weed. That is weed. Smoke them if you got them. Should have smoked Audrey, too, at the end of this. They should. That would have been hilarious. Wow. Uh, And number 10, coriandrum sativum. Okay, well, you got sativum again, and then coriander is an herb, so I'm going to say yes, a plant. You're right. It is uh, cilantro, another callback to my bevy here. Uh, The leaves, which are 
the herb cilantro or Chinese parsley, and the seeds being the spice coriander. You mentioned having to like punch your cilantro or something like that. Like, <laughs> I had to slap it. Slap it. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's called like you got to express the herbs. Um, like just make more flavor come out of it. Yeah, it's supposed to help the oils or something come out. You see people do that with uh, like mint or something like that. I don't know. Basil, too. I think you can slap around basil. Interesting. All right. Yeah. But hey, there we go. You did it. You got uh, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You got a 70%, Joe. You passed. I got seven? Yeah, you got seven right. I feel like I got most of those wrong. Did I just have a crazy streak towards the end there? You did. I, I made it a little easier for you. Okay. Yeah. Well done, Joe. Justin, that was fun. Uh, that was fun. Can I just say, best theme song yet. You're on such a roll uh, with the production value and the ingenuity going into these uh, musical moments that we have. You know what? I think it adds, it definitely adds some, some, something spectacular uh, to the show. So, I mean, I take it very seriously, Joe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I, I, I think we can safely say that the next episode is going to be even better because we can look into the future because we can have recorded the next episode yet yes we can look into the future the listeners cannot no we are literally time traveling right now yes because the the next episode has been recorded and we can give you a little sneak preview now so Justin's pick for um our musical march miniseries was little shop of horrors Loved it. Huge amount of enjoyment to be had by all here. Yep. Um, I picked a movie that was near and dear to my heart uh, and more on the maximalist side of things that we went ahead and saw in theaters because there was a special um, showtime at the Plaza Theater here in uh, Atlanta put on by Wussy Mag. Um, And we kind of jumped on that. Um, and that was uh, Moulin Rouge. So we yeah. are very excited to talk about Moulin Rouge in the past because we've already done it, and we've <laughs> all to hear us talk about it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to have people hear it, and I'm also excited that like we have the rest of the month off. Oh my god, I'm so excited! <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to to uh, post something without having to record um, for yeah. this month or so. Yeah, stress free life. Like, let's just drink up more green cocktails and just have a good time the rest of the month. That's all we got to do. We just get to kick up our feet now. Hell yeah. Justin, this was so great. This was the perfect movie you could have picked. I know. And I'm so glad that, like, I got the earworms in you. I got the tug at your heartstrings. And mm-hmm. now it's it's now just permanently in your repertoire. And now I, like, I have additional, like, gifts I can give you during the holidays. Like, I know Joe loves... um little shop now i can get him a little plant you know i'm gonna go listen to it after this you fucking better (laughs) (laughs) all right cool well thanks everyone uh again uh rate what what is it uh rate review and subscribe you and subscribe it's like wallet keys phone but for podcasts yes all right yeah do all those things and check us out on instagram at ucu podcast and we'll catch you guys later we'll see you in the future but from our past in the next episode. It's so confusing. Bye. Bye.